Nicolau, and welcome to Faith Fitness and French Toast. As always, I'm your host, Moses Allwood, and I want to warmly welcome you back to the podcast. The purpose of this podcast is simple, to encourage, empower, and inspire athletes of all walks of life in their strength endeavors, faith walk, and of course, their best options for post-workout, late-night meals. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Skull Smash Ammonia, Raw Grip Chalk, Tennessee Pre, and Primate Apparel for their consistent support and encouragement. For the best hard-hitting ammonia in the game, none better than Steve at Skull Smash. If you're looking to hit a brutal pull and need that added grip, Raw Grip's Liquid Chalk is the highest quality on the market right now. If you're like me, you want that focus boost in your training without the caffeine crash, then Tennessee Pre is the pre-workout for you. And I'll swear by this, we are humble, but we are savage. Primate Apparel's mentality of sticking to your guns and standing up to those who do you ill is a vital part of my training, and you can head over to any of their Instagram pages to get some products. This evening, I'm chatting with big business, Marcus Leone, a top-level powerlifter and real estate broker who's been a bit of a sleeper cell in the industry, holding a total of over 2,100 pounds while balancing two different real estate companies. You don't want to miss any of this conversation as we cover work training balance, being multifaceted as an individual and as an athlete, and your best options for stake on the market. So sit back, relax, and let's dive in. Marcus, what is going on, brother? I've been excited to have this conversation. Glad to, to get you in the house here. Thank you, good sir. I appreciate you having me on. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, by the way, really cool platform. I usually don't like the idea of remote, and this is uh, kind of a cool format. I like the video format you set up, so kudos to you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, shout out to Squadcast and to the creators there. Uh, if you guys do want to record a good podcast, this is a great platform to do it. Uh, in case you guys don't know what we're referencing, it's a video chat that's just recording audio. But yeah, I've totally loved it. It's been a super dope platform. It's made stuff easy, yeah. super low overhead, and it makes people feel more comfortable because otherwise you're like chatting over the phone with someone and like you're kind of yeah. like cutting over each other and you can't really see how people are responding. So slowly it's it's coming together into, yeah. into creating something as podcast been helpful for that well you know for those who who may not know a whole lot about you uh, obviously you're a power lifter you're a real estate broker you're, you're doing a ton of stuff big business as they call you <laughs> i wonder you know on, on the front end here how in the world did you even get involved in the fitness industry in the first place well that's kind of a funny story but i don't know if i'm really involved in the fitness industry i have just been kind of a meathead since I was 15 and I found my way through the years to like not only realizing that I I was capable of ex exhibiting strength right so like I realized I was okay at powerlifting and then I just ended up training with really cool people for a really long time and met really really cool people all over the world I mean it's crazy how I can text and chat with people in Australia and Canada and Europe and like we're all connected by fitness so Short answer is I don't know if I would consider myself in the fitness industry because that's not my business. You know, everybody who has even heard my nickname, Big Business, it's because I'm a, consider myself a business person. I I run two real estate businesses and I do that because I love exercising, I love lifting weights, I love strength training. So uh, I'm not in the business, but. I spend a lot of my social time there. So the roundabout answer to your question. 
Yeah, that's good. No, it's uh, it's good because I I know you know there's um, you know there there can be misconceptions, you know, and I know this was a topic that you really wanted to to jump into, you know, because I think social media itself is it's so easy to just see a single facet of people, you know, and you know especially you know powerlifting, bodybuilding, Olympic weightlifting. They're not really careers like they are, but it's not something that is going to sustain you pay for the bills, you know, cover things. And honestly, something that most of the world cares about in the first place. So as you said, you know, you, you run two real estate businesses. So, I mean, even looking at, you know, training, even if that's not your main thing and business, what does it look like to maintain a healthy balance there uh, without going crazy, you know, in the meantime? Honestly, I think my, yeah, my honest answer is it's, it's really difficult in a, in a sense, right? Because I knew from when I was very young that this was going to be a big part of my life. Like Mm -hmm. not because there was social media reinforcing that decision chain, right? That that wasn't around back then. We had MySpace when I was 15 years old. Instagram wasn't a thing. I didn't know what powerlifting was back then. I didn't know what strength training was when I was 15. I, I had copies of flex fitness magazine. Uh, I had muscle and fitness magazine from back in the day with those massive full page ads for cell tech and all those crazy like muscle farm products and all, you know, all the old supplements, but you would see these full exposés on guys like Ronnie Coleman and Jay Cutler, and Phil Heath, like, the guys that were really big in bodybuilding. So what I got into mm-hmm. back then was, was, was strength training in a sense, because I just wanted to lift like a bodybuilder and get big. And I just kept pushing the weights as much as I could. So fast forward to now, and I'm sorry if I like bastardize your question by going way off topic, but maintaining a balance between the two of them. I, I think that, I did that intuitively. Like I didn't plan on being in the real estate business and lifting weights in a, in a sense that is competitive. Now I just decided that I was going to just continue lifting for as long as I could. And I just kept trying different iterations of the barbell, you know, from, I wasn't a bodybuilder, but I trained like one for a really long time. And then I started Olympic weightlifting when I was in my early twenties and, it, it just the training beat me up too bad, which brought me to powerlifting because I realized I had a really good deadlift. Like the funny thing was when I was Olympic weightlifting, I started in Tampa. And one day in our training session, I was like, hmm, I wonder if I could deadlift Ilya Ilyan's world record clean and jerk, which at the time in 2015 was 246 kilograms. If you've ever seen the lift, it is the most insane clean and jerk of all time. It might go down, you know, unless Lasha uh, ends up clean jerk sure. to 70 kilos this year, which right. I bet you, you know, within the next couple of years he will. Uh, he could do it now. But, you know, at the time I was like, okay, let me see if I could deadlift this. And I had weightlifting shoes on. Like, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, dude. I just did it. <laughs> and then at that point, I competed at University Nationals a little bit after that. I wasn't the best, you know, like I was skinny for my height. I wasn't quite filled out enough. I wasn't really sure of where I was going in life and business and all that, you know, I was kind of at a transient point in my like career, so to speak, weightlifting career too. 
which eventually brought me to start squatting a lot, which was weird. I didn't really want to weightlift after I did that national competition. So I started squatting a lot, tried to get really strong at that. And then I eventually moved back to Miami and started training at a gym here called Iron Addicts Gym, which was a really badass bodybuilding and powerlifting gym back in the day. And I say back in the day, it was like four years ago before it got shut down. And mm-hmm. it was just like the baddest of the bad dudes in Miami training there. It was really cool. There was a lot of strong powerlifters. And that's when I realized, hmm, uh, I'm, I'm decent at this. You know, I had like a 300 kilo deadlift at the time. And which eventually just grew along with my pursuit of, of my real estate ventures, which started around the same time with the, with the formation of my first business. Uh, I could explain it to people. It's basically a, a real estate services business that deals with appraisals. And I just have been plugging away at that with the partner for the last almost four years now. And, you know, the whole time, you know, you're working basically bank hours and you can take time throughout the day, throughout the night, whenever you need to travel. It's all work that's remote. So I just, the gym was my day at five o'clock, you know, from five to eight, five to seven o'clock training five, four or five days a week. And I basically, once I moved back to Miami, I had a good group that I was competing with on a really regular basis. So we would go from competition to competition, to competition, to competition. I probably competed three or four times a year, the first three years, twice a year after that. And I've only competed once this year, but honestly, like it just becomes a part of life. You know, it's the big priority. So uh, I'm, I'm in a position where I don't have kids, you know, except for two dogs and, uh, I've focused my life, like, you know, from the second I wake up, I work really efficiently all day and do what I have to do uh, to maintain my health. And I can sleep a lot more than most people probably. And and I go train. I mean, training is now like a four day a week, three day a week thing. But it's, you know, when I'm prepping, it's, it's a big part of my life. And... Honestly, it's just, it just becomes natural. It's it's like the whole idea that you need to be motivated and you have to watch these, these, these fucking YouTube videos of these crazy, like glitzy motivational things training, like going harder. It's like, dude, like that's not the reality of the weight room. The reality of the weight room is like a lot of slow concerted effort over a really long period of time. And the winner, the strongest dude in the room is either the, the genetic freak and then we're talking guys like Jamal Browner because nobody will ever catch up to him. Right. Like he's on a different planet. Yeah. But then he's on Mars. Of, <laughs> he's on Mars. He's on Mars. Dude, I watched the guy pull 400 and it was 971 pounds hooked up in front of me. The last competition I did just like, <laughs> like, yeah, he's a freak. He's a freak. He's going to be he the is. best deadlifter of all time. I'm sure. Yeah. It's, there's no doubt. But beside that, you know, like a lot of times the truth of the weight game is the guy that can do it for the longest period of time, the healthiest and the least injured. That's it. I think it's a really simple formula that gets lost on social media and other like topics of conversation, essentially. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, I, I appreciate that you mentioned social media because, I mean, we are living – I'm 
whether we like it or not, we are living in this technological era. Um, you know, even as I was a communications major in college, you know, we're studying all the different yeah. modicums of how people have communicated. And I mean, we're in the technological one, you know, we've got our Snapchat, our Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, I mean, everything, every medium you could use to communicate with people post and flaunt yourself. You can do it right in this little supercomputer that we have in our hands. Yeah. And I think, I think it's created this false reality where a lot of really young people are are feeling, I don't know, al- almost as if they're better than they are. And I know I've definitely fallen into the trap. I'm sure you have at different points as well. We all, you get under a bar, you hit a PR, and you're like, "Holy shit, I am a god!" Like just in that moment, there's that 30 second window, just like I'm the most powerful thing on the planet. Obviously, it's not true because then, secondly, you, you know see Jamal Brown. Yes, why is it not true? Talk talk us through it. Because there's a teenager in China that has done more than you. And that's not you. I don't know what you're number. I'm just saying, whoever that guy is, if you're one of the USAPL cats and you're like, damn, I'm really hot shit. I just squatted, uh, whatever, you know, and they use all these like weird techniques to do it. And it's like, yeah, go watch the Chinese weightlifting team and then we can talk in a week. Yes. Absolutely. They're all in these big gyms, you know, these big weightlifting gyms, just absolutely bottoming out these squats. They're 300 pounds over what these powerlifters are doing because yeah. they're training <laughs> even out, like even outside of oh, yeah. like just squatting. They're just functionally just better athletes. And a lot of them aren't yeah. posting shit online no. because it doesn't no, matter. No. It doesn't no. matter if you've posted something online. They don't give a shit. No. They're going to go onto the platform and kill someone, you know? So, go. and I know this is something you wanted to chat about. So I want to hear what your thoughts yeah. are kind of on all of this. Yeah. So like I said, when I started, I was 15. I didn't know my ass from my hand and I had flex magazine and muscle fitness magazine, whatever it was out back then. I don't even remember, but what you got to read was the workouts, the workouts that these guys posted in these magazines. I mean, you had, Dude, I remember it was either 2000 or 7, 2008, Mr. Olympia. There's this iconic shot of Jay Cutler walking out on stage. You know, he I obviously won that year. He was doing, he had just a sick quad sweep going in the shot. And he was just, he was like the most monstrous looking photo ever. It was one of the earliest bodybuilding images I remember. Because, I mean, Ronnie Coleman, Dorian Yates, those guys were a couple years before I was old enough to know what I was doing. So, this was right around that time when he was the champ. So you would see these pictures and see their workouts. And I just went in every week and I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. Right. So there was no uh, looking at PRs on social media. There was no looking at Instagram PRs. So like the reason I want to talk to you about it for two or three reasons. I mean, number one, I think it's a super unrealistic uh, mindset for for young athletes to put themselves in because you know we all find ourselves looking at social media and you know comparisons the thief of joy and a lot of young dudes are looking at people training like powerlifters right so a lot of powerlifting training I think like if you were to look at my training if I were to show you my training log it would look so wildly different than what I would tell an untrained person to do for the first mm-hmm. five, eight years of their weightlifting career, because I don't have to do much anymore. Not to say I don't have to work hard, but the amount of like the mindset of, of, of a trained, I quote unquote athlete, if you want to call us that in powerlifting sure. is very different than, in, than, a, than a younger untrained athlete. So what I see a lot of younger you younger athletes doing 
is, you know, tons and tons and tons of barbell work, tons of squatting, tons and tons of benching and tons of deadlifting, which I can see the use in. But I also think that going to the fundamentals, which is basically hypertrophy work and building a big base in terms of muscle mass, in terms of muscular experience, body awareness is something that's getting overlooked because everybody wants to hit PRs nowadays and nobody wants to put in the five to 10 years of base work that is required for your body to be able to support weights like that. Now that might not be the case for everybody, but I think it's a really big red flag because a lot of the gyms I've trained in visited, you'll see these really young dudes and like, they look like a twig. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not knocking them because yeah. like, I love the fact that they're training, which is great. But I think that if, if we, if I had, if I was the omniscient powerlifting God, right. And I could manipulate everybody's training to, to look a certain way. I think that I would really de-emphasize social media mm-hmm. and like, if I could whisper in their ear, I'd be like, guys, like those, that's the wrong message to listen to. Like listening to, to people's stories is really cool. But I think the methodology for a lot of those younger dudes chasing PRs instead of chasing experience in the weight room is pretty detrimental to the athlete's career and to young dudes careers too. Cause honestly to put 800 pounds in your back, like you have to have an immense amount of muscle mass to be able to support it. You have to be really strong in your musculature. Your bone density has to be different. Your back has to be insanely strong. I just don't think you can entirely get that type of experience from like traditional peaking blocks and powerlifting and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, and that's a good word because I think, you know, we, it is, it does feel like, you know, on King of the Lifts every, and I got nothing wrong. If, if, homie, if you're listening to this, you know, King of the Lifts, hey, we're a big fan. I, I love what you're doing. But you do see so frequently these kids that weigh like a buck 50 soaking wet somewhere in the Northeast squatting 600 every single time. It's squatting 600. Like that's the number. It's never more than that. It's never less than that. It's just always 600. But these guys look like, if I walked up to them and just like twisted their arm the wrong way, it was going to snap in half. Now it's easy for me to say that when I weigh 270 pounds, but it's like, man, like if I compete in powerlifting, I want to at least look like I compete in powerlifting. Like I don't want to walk down the street and someone be like, damn, like dude, have you ever, have you ever eaten a steak? And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) you know, I don't have that problem, but there are so many that do. And it's just disheartening. Yeah. Muscle, muscle mass moves weight. Like it's very simple. You could have, all of the, and this, okay, I'll be opinionated on this. Honestly, I hate, and I think this is more prevalent in the USAPL than anywhere. Mm-hmm. All of these stupid technique kids that, that, that lift with this, like use the arch, right? Use it to your advantage. But the guys that have two or three inch range of motion, and I can literally measure their degree of elbow flexion from fucking here to God. there. And that's their lockout. Like, I'm sorry. You might win nationals, but you don't have the respect of of really strong athletes. Like, like you think, like you think that a, a super arched bench press techniques, and I won't name names, is the same as I saw John Hack benching two hundred and sixty two kilograms today. Yeah. Like, holy shit, man! Like, full <laughs> range of motion, man. Like, yeah. You ever go watch these big dudes? Go watch Dan Bell bench. Go watch anybody with long arms. Go watch me bench. I mean, I have uh, arms, you know, as wide as it can get. 
it's it's different, you know, and I think it garners a different level of respect as well from other people. And maybe that's not the rules they're playing by, but that's how I have always thought about it. Like, I don't ever want to go lift something and I don't want it to look stupid. I don't want it to be ridiculed behind my back. I mean, you can call that sensitive if you want. I'm not most of my life, but I do have a certain level of self-respect. I'm like, mm-hmm. if I'm going to the gym to train, like I want it, I want it to look good and I don't want to be embarrassed by my own lifts. And I think there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of emphasis on kind of extreme technique manipulation amongst certain circles in the powerlifting world that probably isn't the right method of attack, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and, and I mean, it's not to say, of course, there's still going to be that 1% that, you know, can, can manipulate their bodies, have an inch range of motion of two inches and still be freaks for sure. But if it's the same thing of you get these kids who see someone, let's say like Sean Noriega, who's a freak athlete, but has a bench ROM of two inches, a squat, you know, it's all very limited, specialized stuff. And they go, well, that's how I should lift. And then they start doing that and fuck their bodies up because they're not Sean Noriega. They're just Jim from Pennsylvania. Yeah. Who's 15 and just has a basement gym. Yeah. I mean, listen, you can draw from whatever lifting technique you want. It's just, I guess you just always have to keep in mind, like, and this is my opinion. I'm, not, I'm like, there's no right and wrong. Like it's lifting weights, man. Like this is not the fucking like. This is not like the courtroom here. Like I know there's all sorts of opinions <laughs> on this. I just, I just think my personal opinion is like I respect a certain style better than others, for sure. And you know, take that for what it is. Like it doesn't mean you don't win. It's just for younger. I'm just talking about like younger athletes in powerlifting. And another thing, like, and this is the big taboo subject in the powerlifting world, what doesn't get conveyed when you see all those crazy PRs is, like, there's a big black hole when it comes to transparency, especially when it comes to drugs and steroids in the sport. And you know what? Like, it, it gets it gets very convoluted, I think, because most people aren't open and transparent about it. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know how that gets addressed in the powerlifting world because it's like a big, big no-no across all sports. Like I wish it wasn't because I think the more open people are, the more responsible the conversation is for younger people because then you won't have 17, 18 year old jackasses doing 500 milligram cycles of test and trend when they're, when the fucking balls haven't even dropped yet. They don't have any hair on their arms, you know, like it's incredibly irresponsible for the conversation to be in the dark for a number of reasons. And I know why it is because there's a big uh, emphasis in the fact that like most people like you shouldn't have a conversation with somebody like me about it because I'm not a doctor and I'm not educated. There's a few people in the industry that are, but for younger people, I, I don't know how that's being interpreted, but I just, I think there's a lot of really rec- reckless behavior because, you know, where I'm at now, I've had conversations with lots and lots of people at the very tops, top of the sport. And, like, I think the health conversation does need to come into play a little bit more. And, and there should be a lot more transparency on everybody's part. Like, it shouldn't be such a taboo subject, in my opinion. Yeah. And it is, of course, a tough balance because in all of those other sports, it is so completely illegal. But it is kind yeah. of a strange, like, biome of powerlifting where it's like, well – if you don't compete tested, pretty much everyone just assumes you're taking something, but no one's, even though everyone assumes that no one talks about it and it does create kind of that dangerous funnel 
for people to just be like, well, if I need to get strong, then I guess I just need to go listen to the local drug dealer who tells me that he can get yeah. me something. And then he's pumping yeah. me full of who knows what. You know how much bad advice I've gotten on that subject in the last four years? I mean, like, and now you go to gyms and it's like you can have the conversation with people. And I've had that conversation with random people that come and talk to me about it. They'll tell me things. And a lot of times I walk away like, dude, you need to fear for your fucking life. Like whoever gave you that advice is going to end up killing you because it's, it's like, it's really dangerous. So I get it, right? Like it's, it's number one, for the most part, it's illegal. It's banned substance in terms of DEA, but also a lot of powerlifters are competing untested. So in that sense, it's fair game and everybody's just doing whatever they want, but there's not enough health education. There's not enough wellness education on that subject because if you choose to do it, you better do it responsibly. Because it could end up killing you. And unfortunately, you've seen a lot of really top-level, really top-notch bodybuilders dying over the past several years. And I I don't know what it's directly attributed to, but I would venture to guess it's lifestyle-related, you know, left ventricular hypertrophy, things like that, really high blood pressure. And, you know, it's it's horrible. It's so sad. But I think a lot of it could be addressed proactively. Yeah. No, 100%. And and it does kind of lead back to this this social media bubble and that it's creating this false reality where people almost attribute the popularity of someone they follow to the wisdom that that person can offer. And it's like, well, no, like there's some real jackasses that have verified profiles with millions of followers who I would never take advice on how to feed my dog if I left for a day, you know? And then there's also people no one's ever heard of who are geniuses and no one knows they exist because they're not flaunting it over social media for views. Yeah, I can tell you for 100% certainty, the man that I trust the most with that advice in this business, you probably have never heard of him. And I would guarantee you, I've talked to a lot of people and I'm like, hey, you know, I speak to this person about so-and-so. Like, have you ever talked to him? It could be good just for your health and such. And they're just like, nope, never heard of him. Never talked to anybody about that. And I'm like, my fucking jaw hits the floor. I'm like, are you trying to kill yourself? Like, this is really serious and that's some that's the point of of me bringing this up is it's not talked about enough and it should be because it's deadly serious stuff yeah 100 percent. yeah and i know i know a lot of your follower base is going to be you know those young guys who are looking up to you you know as a guy in your your late 20s you know you're figuring stuff out you're strong dude so there are going to be a ton of high schoolers but I would assume we're going to listen to this episode. And so I would encourage you guys that are listening, take it seriously. Like, don't fuck up your life over trying to bench 300 pounds because it's yeah, not worth it's it. It's not worth it. And it won't get you laid. And <laughs> nobody cares. And like, guy, men are going to forget about the PR within 24 hours because John Hack's going to be out there benching 600 pounds in a week. And nobody's going to care about your 500 pound bench press. And chicks seriously don't care. Like, yes. There might be a few. <laughs> But like, <laughs> they don't, you know, like lifting 800 pounds has never gotten somebody laid. <laughs> well, and I think it's also when, when I came to the realization that pretty much every girl that's ever seen someone post a weightlifting video doesn't know the difference between two plates on the bar right. and 10 plates yeah. on the bar. For them, they're like, <laughs> oh, that's cool. And that's it. And I'm like, no, like this was really impressive. Yeah. And they'd be yeah, like, yeah. no, I guess. <laughs> I was like, no, I deadlifted 600 pounds. They're like, yeah, all right. That's cool. Yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and like, listen, even, even I love my fiance, like love her to death. Like if the numbers get, it's like, 
it almost gets meaningless after a while because I don't even care anymore. I don't even think about it. I don't even I go in and I have a program written and I do it and I leave. And it's like, all right, you'll get the gratitude on social media and all that stuff. And there's a couple of dudes you could talk to about it and it becomes a really cool conversation. But for the most part, nobody cares about numbers. Most powerlifters really don't care about other people's numbers either. Like there's a few that are really into it. Shout out Garrett Fear, also a really good dude. He's a big numbers guy. Also a salt of the earth guy. Uh, yes. If you ever want to run a really good powerlifting meet, invite him. Because he's fucking awesome. Uh, <laughs> um, anyways, yeah, it's, it's it's kind of like a silly rabbit hole to go down the whole numbers thing. I'm, I'm glad we're not really touching on it on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> yeah, if y'all want a podcast where we're just going to talk about numbers – this isn't the one for you. You're going to you're going to want to go ahead and Thank click you. out. Just go ahead Thank go you. ahead and subscribe and like give me the points that I want but go listen to something else. Um so yeah. what I do know, you know, is another um company that you're associated with is Certified Piedmontese. And I know um Ian who's a mutual friend of ours is also, you know, a big fan of them. Uh, and so I went over to the page and, and I, I looked up your bio. You know, it, it pulled up like your specific order and all that. It's like what what is it? One, this is your opportunity to plug this company. Like one, what is it about them? Uh, so this is a shameless plug, but also like, what's the go-to yeah. for steak? Like, like what, okay. what makes right. steak, steak better? Here's, here's my shtick. And I am so fucking excited you brought this up. I love <laughs> for years. I've just been, you know, I, I, in my old apartment, I learned you know, I love cooking. I love cooking meat. I love cooking steak. I experiment with it all the time, all the different things, just like I love coffee. You know, it's like the two culinary things I really go to. You know, I'm a bad Italian. I never cook pasta. I wait for my dad to do that. <laughs> He's much better than me. So I really, I, I got this opportunity to work with this company, right? And I like DM them out of the blue and they said, yes. And I'm like, Why? <laughs> like holy shit this like this is the coolest thing ever uh mm-hmm. so they you know we've been working together uh the girl i communicate with really regularly name's kayla she's the sweetest person ever and i could tell you that like one thing i really value as a small business owner is working with other small businesses i love supporting local small businesses i love giving local small businesses that are gyms my money the fact that I am able to work with and collaborate with a, a certified Piedmontese as my own, basically only continuous sponsor in the powerlifting world is a really incredible opportunity. Number one, I, I love the quality of their meat. Their meat is mostly grass raised and finished. It's incredibly high quality in terms of the, the you know, fat content. It's it's the specific breed of cow. It's called a Piedmontese cow. It's Italian, much like myself. Uh, so it has this inactive myostatin inhibitor, makes it look like a jacked cow. And um, it looks like the Arnold Schwarzenegger of cows. You know, it's just a beefcake. Uh, but the, the meat's really tender. So normally if you get something really low fat content, the meat's not very good. But like if you take a filet, the filets have fucking five grams of fat. The first time I got one from them, I'm like, uh, this is wrong because when I cooked yeah. it, I was like, Holy shit, it tastes just as good as something you would get with 20 or 30 grams of fat. It was like mind blowing. Um, and the ambassador page, like, she actually just sent that over to me. They just put it, put it up this past week. I haven't even had a chance to look at it because I've been so busy and I had a chance to, to do anything. Um, but to answer your question, 
I absolutely love working with these guys. They're a, they're a small business. They, they're incredible people. It's really an honor to be able to represent them and support them. I would buy it 100% you know, every single month if, if I wasn't sponsored by them. It's really, really, really tasty stuff. Uh, if you guys want to try it, use code Leone25 at checkout. It'll save you 25%, which is a huge discount, actually. Yeah, if legitimate. Uh, I'll be honest. My I don't know what their uh, order is Profit for me market on the buyer. No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. Oh, not even for them. No, I'm I'm saying I don't know what the order is for me that they put up on my bio on their website because I have an ambassador page now. But I love like I'm really simple. Like I'll do some New York strips. They're pretty thin. I actually started doing them in an air fryer, which is really cool. Because uh, I'll do like sometimes really? I'll go buy like I just got the air fryer, dude. I like impulse bought it one night and I've been using it to cook. Dude, don't knock it till you try it because sweet potatoes. No, I'll just chicken. like have this image of you like in bed, like on your laptop. You're like, holy shit, I want an air fryer. Just buying it before you go to sleep. But it was good. Yes, I, I 100%. That's how a lot of things happen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a lot of things. It's my phone. I don't bring my laptop in there. But beside the point, I put the, the, the strip steaks in there. They're great. But honestly, what I buy most of the time from them is um, is uh, ground beef. Like, it's the easiest thing for me to eat. They actually have this really cool, like, it's kind of like beef jerky. Not beef jerky. It's like a stick. It's like stick jerky. It's like this big. You know, you show in your backpack. I bring it to my office with me all the time. Those are really good, too. They're on-the-go snacks. It's just uh, fat and uh, protein in it. So, anyways, yeah, they're really incredible. The only 25 at checkout saved you big bucks. Thanks for the shameless plug. Yes, of course. <laughs> and for the, for, the, for the people that wanted to know what the ambassador page is, I pulled it up while we were chatting Air Fryer. Uh, it says the go-to to get the Marcus Big Business order. It's four 8-ounce <laughs> filet mignons, four 10-ounce New York strips, Four 16 ounce of the lean ground beef, 96%, and then one tomahawk ribeye. The tomahawk is so good. It yeah, is that's so, like life goal. so good. I think it's a life goal for me is to, is to get a tomahawk at some point in my life uh, because it's, it's just not in my budget right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's not a cheap piece of meat, but like if you have a good occasion, actually, you know something that they sh- I should recommend too is the picanha steak. The picanha steak is out of this world good and if you ever get a chance to go eat like a brazilian restaurant you'll you'll see why it's so good but they make one they have their own cut there and the fat content's a lot lower than normal but it is man it's so tasty you'll love it it's good well i have a feeling like there's a lot of people listening right now that are whether they had steak in the freezer or something like <laughs> they they know that they're about to go cook something please uh, good well so piggybacking immediately off of steak because you mentioned that coffee is the other the other big piece for you you know, what, what is your all time favorite coffee blend? You know, what is the, what's the Marcus cup of coffee? So <laughs> this might be my next big business venture. So stay on the lookout okay. for the next, next time I have a little bit of time on my hands, I'm going to start a coffee roasting business. Okay. I've, uh, I don't know when, but it's been a, like a lifetime goal of mine. That's kind of like chugging around the back of my brain. I just don't have any time for it right now. Uh, so mm-hmm. if you know anybody in Miami that knows how to roast coffee, tell them to hit me up and we'll chat. Uh, but the way that I roast, so like I do two different styles. First thing I do when I wake up is, you know, it's first immediately making coffee because I usually just walk into my home office or I'm going, you know, straight to the office to go work for the day. But uh, 
I use this thing called a Bonavita, or no, no, it's a Technovorm, Technovorm pour over machine. And I prefer light roasts. So it actually has a higher caffeine content. If you make it right, it tastes more like a tea than anything. So I'll do about, you know, two cups of coffee in the morning before I even start my work day. Sometimes while I read or if I have time to read in the morning, but it like in the morning, I'll do that. Usually a light roast. I use this website called trade coffee and you can buy five pound bags from all over the country from little craft, like micro roasters. It's a really cool resource. Go check it out. If you haven't, um, there's so many different brights. I get a new one every month. And in the afternoon, if I have time to like around four o'clock before I go train, I'll make uh, Chemex. That's something I just started doing like a month ago. And that produces an even higher quality cup of coffee. Like it's much, much clearer, much lighter. It's definitely my favorite way to make coffee now. It takes about five minutes overall to do it, but it's well worth the time invested. Yeah. I, uh, I had a friend uh, a couple of years ago when I came up for the Arnold, uh, I had a friend who lived in Columbus and, uh, you know, we were getting up bright and early so we could get to the convention in time before everything is just, you know, blown up and that there were going to be thousands of people everywhere. And yeah. I go, Hey man, like, can I make some coffee here real fast? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a Chemex in there. I was like, oh, okay, cool. No idea what a Chemex was, but in my head, I was like, all right, like, <laughs> it's, it's not gonna be that complicated. It's gonna be like yeah. a Keurig or something. Like, I, wasn't thinking, I yeah. wake up that morning. I look at this thing and I'm like, I don't know how to do chemistry. Like, <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? I think that's how it got started. I think it was just, I think they were, it must have been chemists or something that just created it out of the same glass. It's, it's, it's just, it look, I was like, this is a foreign entity to me. I was like, I felt like Walter White trying to cook crystal meth in like an RV somewhere in New Mexico. I was like, I can't do that. Uh, I was like, I'm going, to, I'm going to the Arnold with a monster energy. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not yeah. trying to deal with it. It's not for the faint of heart. Like, I, I had a friend tell me, he DM'd me the instructions, like gram wise and, milliliter content wise to like figure out the whole thing. And then I finally figured it out. But like I bought Chemex coffee filters or they're like their own branded thing. And it's basically just a big square piece of paper and you fold it into this like fucking like origami shape. The first time I took it out of the box, I swear I've never felt dumber in my whole life. I was playing with a little square paper for 10 minutes straight, trying to figure out how to fit it. Like it had a picture on the box and I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, this looks pretty straightforward. It sits in there like a diamond, like it ends up coming out like this. And I'm like 10 minutes straight, nonstop fiddling with it, figuring it out. I ripped one of them up and then got pissed off and walked out of the room, came back in. I'm like, you know, I finally figured it out. But like, it's just, it's, it's kind of like just an obsessive way to make coffee, I guess, if you have the time for it. So I definitely recommend it, but you got a kind of a little learning curve to get to deal with. Yes. Yeah. I, I definitely like, I, I feel like Shrek trying to do anything, you know, that like I'm like breaking things. <laughs> like, yeah, I, feel you. I feel you. I feel you. So do I. The, the big guy problems, you know, yeah. Small things. I just feel like it's like Legos, the same thing, you know, babysitting kids. And I'm like, how do you guys put this thing together? Like I can't even hold it anyway. Oh. But yes, Chemex is the, uh, is the brand go. for the elite coffee people. Yes. The stops. Good. Yes, the snobs, as it were, the people who are who are eating their tomahawk steaks and their wagyu beef, and you know, well, well, yeah, holding their little teacup of Chemex coffee together, it's it's good. <laughs> uh, well, so we touched on it a little bit, kind of on the front end, you know, uh, of chatting about maintaining and, and staying in powerlifting or in a sport or even in a business long term, you know, because even as we chatted about this social media thing of 
these young guys coming up and then disappearing just a couple years later. You know, they get really strong. They don't have that base. They disappear. Same thing a lot of times, small businesses, maybe even if they do mean well, kind of come up for a couple of years, they don't have the capital maybe, or they haven't had enough investment, enough purchase, and then they disappear as well. You know, in, in both kind of the real estate, because obviously you're, you're bouncing two companies right now, which are both obviously proving successful, and as being able to train for an extensive period of time and still do that with some level of success, what does it take to achieve and maintain that same success you know, without just burning out or disappearing just after a short period of time. <laughs> Which is also a very okay. difficult, but it's like a million dollar question yeah. to ask you. I mean, I got two answers. This is, this is like, this would be the, the answer I would give like jokingly. You have to have a very fucking high ceiling for what burns you out and what's like insanity, you know? Yeah. Because the thing about running most businesses. Now there's some businesses that just take off and they're taking tons of money in their revenues off the charts, right off the bat. They're very lucky. That's not the case for 90% of businesses, right? 90% of businesses are in competitive marketplaces. 90% of businesses have to have a competitive advantage and they have to be run properly and they have to have cash. If you're a business person, the lifeblood of your business is capital. You need to have operating money. If you don't, you are going to fail or you're going to be in so much debt that eventually you can't pay those debts and then you're going to fail. So the answer to your question, the truthful answer to your question is patience because in powerlifting, much like in business, and I've drawn this analogy on a couple of different conversations I've had with people is patience is the lifeblood of both. In business, it takes a very long time to grow. It takes a very long time to get your first. In my in my main business, the appraisal business, it can take six to eight months, maybe even a year to finally land a client. And those clients are banks and mortgage companies and they're very bureaucratic structures. It's not like making an Instagram post and suddenly you sell a T-shirt. It's like, oh, me, look at me. I mean, I'm a guy in a T-shirt that hangs out with his dogs most of the time and loves lifting weights. I go to these banks that are worth billions of dollars, you know, not just me, but you get the point. And you're having conversations with C-suite guys and you're like, I don't know if this guy's going to think I'm a fucking fraud. You know, like the business we run is legitimate and, you know, obviously the success speaks for itself, but you always have to think like, okay, what if they just don't take me seriously? But if you spend enough time having the conversation with anybody, if you're trying to make sales in the business world, you're trying to employ sales tactics and whatever kind of position you're in. Sorry, I don't know if you can hear that. Those are my For all the listeners, if you're dog lovers, just what we've got going on in the background. <laughs> yeah, that's Luke. Shout out to Luke. It's his 11-month birthday today. Wow. <laughs> Man, closing on the one year. That's got to be – that's high energy in and of itself right there. Oh my God. Let's not, let's, we can do a whole podcast on how many. <laughs> we just got our seventh remote today because he loves chewing up our remotes. Um, it's, hard, it's hard to watch your favorite yeah. Netflix show if you don't have a remote. <sighs> you learn ways around it, man. <laughs> uh, but the, the answer that I would give to everybody is patience and be very, very, very conservative with your cash because your business is not going to operate without income. 
and it's not going to operate without cash in the bank. And there's going to be periods of time when you're getting kicked in the nuts. Every business has a low season. Right now, we're going through, I mean, this is for anybody listening, we're recording this in mid-September of 2020. We are in the middle of what I would say is the most strangely violent upheaval in the history of economics. It makes absolutely no sense. Plain and simple, right? There's a lot of people that have outright failed. You know, like I walk around where my office is, the Windwood neighborhood in Miami. I walk around there all the time. Do you know how many three-day notices I've seen on all of these businesses that were just opened within the last few months? Just people failing left and right, man. And it's it's no, no fault of theirs, but the moral of the story in that respect is like weird shit happens. I grew up. In the middle, I got this. My start in the real estate business was in 2010, 2011. Mm. And if you don't know what that means, we were coming off of what was at that time the worst economic recession in the history of the United States since 1929. And it was directly caused by volatility in the real estate markets, credit markets, caused the, probably the highest level of foreclosures that has ever happened. It's probably the highest and most complete overhaul of financial regulation that has ever happened. And I got my start in the business that way. I was helping buy foreclosed homes from banks. You know, I was an agent representing an investor. And all I did was go scout out deals, find them, close the deal, renovate them, rent them to college kids at the time. So I saw firsthand the destructive capabilities of, of markets and they're very cyclical. And right now we're going through a very weird upheaval in the markets. So it taught me that you have to expect the unexpected and how that applies to powerlifting is they treat both of them in the same way uh, with, with its patience, right? So like I told you, before, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I, I've, now I'm coming up on 14 years in the gym. And I've never taken more than a week or two off. And it's only when I travel and go on vacation, I don't exercise then. You know, I'd like to give myself breaks whenever I go to like Europe or wherever. And I think that employing a very deliberate macro view that what I'm doing is going to matter, but it's going to matter over the long haul. And I don't care if I hit a PR this week because I know I'm going to hit a PR within the next six months. I don't care that that client didn't call me back today because I know that I'm going to get them in the next six months. It's the same mindset, right? Like a lot of people are stuck in this hamster wheel, social media mindset of I have to hit the PR today. I have to hit the next goal today. I need to hit this bench this week, next week, whatever this, this meet has to be that 1900 total, this 2000 total, this 1000 kilo total. Right. But it honestly doesn't matter because as long as you're making progress, you know, as long as you, if you walk into the office that day and you make a call, you send a follow-up email, you send somebody a thank you note, and you're deploying that mindset of patience every single day while still working hard as fuck towards your goal, eventually you're going to get there. And you might get there in a better fashion than if you were an impatient person. You know, it's, but I think it's a very hard, fine line to try and tread because, you know, it's it's difficult to take a step back and I have to catch myself all the time. Like, you know, during this period of time and in, in COVID, like my business has grown exponentially. I'm really thankful for that. But it took a lot of perseverance and emails and phone calls and all sorts of stuff to get to that point. 
And, you know, while I was in that same period, I was like, okay, like I've got, I had three clients that we were trying to bring on board to our business, which turned out to be very big. I'm like, all right, I'm bored. Like I got off of the last meet that I did in February. I'm like, I want to do something. So I chatted with my coach. His name is Sebastian Orob. He's arguably the best strength coach in the world. And I'm really grateful to have that relationship. Anybody doesn't know him, go follow him at Australian strength coach on Instagram. Badass dude. I'm like, Bass, I'm bored. Like I got nothing to train for and I've got nothing to do. And I'm like, let's hit a big deadlift. And he just gets all fucking excited. He loves when loves people doing that kind of stuff. And he wrote me a really sick deadlift program and I ended up hitting an all time PR. And, but that was over 12, 16 weeks. Right. And the same, same with my process of February till August of bringing on these other clients. And I mean, it was the same exact period of time and just sat you fucking, all you do is you go through the motions every day. They're like, okay, like this is either going to happen eventually or not, but I'm just going to keep going through those motions and deploying the little things, you know, you have to do every day in order to meet your goals, which are a long-term process. Yeah. Yeah. That it's not, it's not an overnight thing for either. Like, you know, obviously there's sure there's the the same deal. 1%. There's always the exception. There's always the anecdotal person who is the overnight thing. No one's ever heard of them. And then they come out of nowhere and, deadlift a thousand pounds because of some skittles at jamal but you know at the, jamal. <laughs> yeah. Damn it, jamal. Skittles aren't the answer i tried it skittles yeah we all tried and i'm still deadlifting 570 <laughs> so apparently that wasn't the answer uh, but for most people i mean it's just it's hard ass work and that's ultimately what it takes is having the the grit and the desire to actually achieve something and not just want to show people that you're going to achieve something but to actually do it so that's it's a good word the achievements uh, aren't the ones talking about it. You don't post it. They're not posting their fucking cars on social media and talking like, yeah, okay. Like every once in a while, sure. Like, you know, makes its way in there, but it's like possessions aren't the goal. All that stuff's not the goal. It's like the process is the goal because the process is duplicatable and teachable. And if you tell enough people the same story that, Hey, I'm no genius. I just, I have such an overwhelming drive for this thing like the other thing is not even an option and i think it's like it's one of those things like either you're born with it or you're not like you're born to be a good powerlifter or you're not you know Mm -hmm. and if you're not born to be the greatest of all time then be happy with the progress you make not everybody's gonna i'll never deadlift as much as jamal it's just never gonna happen it's just like most people won't the rest of the planet won't you know like it's it's cool. He's the greatest at that. You know, him and half their Bjornsson, you know, like they're, you're not going to touch that shit. And yeah. not a lot of people are going to be Jeff Bezos, except him, <laughs> like Steve Jobs, <laughs> yeah. like the mythical founder story is a lot more complicated than it really turns out to be. So you see a lot of dudes on social media, even in the fitness industry, and we all know who they are being very flaunty and flashy and showing off all these things and, and you know, all this stuff. And it's like, that's not always going to be the case for every small business owner. You know, there's a lot of hard work that goes into it and that's a fucking commendable goal in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we definitely, yeah. We'll leave it there. Yes, I, I agree, hundred uh, percent. Well, so on the on the back end, you know, of, of interviews, 
you know, I say the podcast is called Faith, Fitness, and French Toast. We all can talk about fitness. It's usually what what brings most of my guests together. Um, sure. But two of the topics I think have really made this podcast, you know, in at least a small way successful has been tapping into the human side of people. You know, I said off the air, you know, that I really don't care about the numbers. Like, yes, it's cool. Congratulations. You deadlift a decent amount. You are a strong motherfucker. Like, we all know this. But thank you. at the end of the day, like, yeah, thank you. It's good. It's <laughs> the only compliment you'll get for the that's entirety it. of the hour. <laughs> but that's good. It, you know, uh, that, you know, tearing down that veil, that curtain, almost like the Wizard of Oz, like getting behind the deep voice behind the throne and seeing like the frail old man just like moving the hands of this wizard, you know, I think is what's really made this podcast really really cool because it's brought out that human side that people don't see at the Arnold. People don't see in the cage. They don't see on the platform because they just see these godlike creatures that are just lifting these absurd amount of weight, but of recognizing that every single one of them is also just, they wake up. Sometimes they have to go take a shit. Sometimes they want to go get a pizza from Domino's. You know, it's just, they're, they're dudes. So two of my favorite questions to ask people, the first is this one on faith. You know, obviously my name is Moses, so everyone who's ever talked to me has automatically assumed I'm the spiritual geek, which technically I am, but on a greater level, I think having that name, as much as I resented it as a kid growing up overseas, has meant I've been able to have some really cool conversations. Where did you grow up? People. And so I grew up in Ireland. My parents were missionaries there, so they're actually still there. Oh, so I grew shit. up in Dublin. Yeah. Oh, went to uh, middle, middle school, high school in Dublin. Yeah. So I'm the, I am the European you know, guy as well, but, uh, where's the accent? Yes. Yeah, so I grew, I grew, I never got the accent. You know, I, I was born in Tennessee, so I lost the Southern twang and then I just got this neutral random yeah. American accent, you know, instead. Beautiful. So no one ever knows where I'm from, which is a nice little, you know, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I think that probably helped with my, you know, early age alcoholism at like 13, you know, of every single Irish kid ever just drinking, you know, on a regular basis. Uh, anyway, <laughs> yes. No, that was totally for everyone listening. I'm not actually an alcoholic. That was a joke. But um, anyway, so with that, you know, what I found has been really cool to ask people is just this question of faith. I've had every answer from someone who said that they're satanic to atheist to Christian to who knows what. And I'm like, OK, like sometimes I don't know how to appropriately respond. But but I love asking this question of what role, if any, has faith played in your own training or even for you as you've run your own businesses and interacted with your fiance and your dogs and all that? Uh, I'm yet to have a a bark bark mitzvah for my dogs, but I know it's coming up at some (laughs) point. I don't broadcast this on social media and I probably don't even post about it ever, but I mean, I'm very, very open in my personal life about the fact that I'm Jewish. And I'm probably one of the few Jews in the weight room and one of the few Jews that compete in strength sports uh, at a high level, right? Uh, except there's, I don't know if, if uh, Vlad Alhazab is Jewish. I know he lives in Israel, but that dude has the all-time world record in the rap squat raw. He is a – you ever seen – you ever heard of him? Yeah, he's a freak, absolute a monster. Fucking freak. <laughs> I know he lives in Israel. I don't know if he's Jewish. Uh, anyways, uh, so I'm Jewish. I was born and raised Jewish. I've had a bar mitzvah. My entire family is Jewish. Um, it, it, as far as it playing a role in my lifting, not necessarily uh, because I just think the two things are just sad. I don't know. Like I just never involved them. But in terms of my personal life, uh, yeah, in a lot of ways it has. I mean, it's a big part of, of being a Jew in 2020. 
Uh, you have a very strong cultural heritage, and there's a lot of uh, identity amongst people of that particular faith in terms of in terms of cultural identity because of all the things that have happened to people of the Jewish faith over the past 70 years. And you know, my family started as refugees from Italy during the Holocaust because most of them got taken to death camps and were put to death. They were killed, and there's a very strong relationship to the faith that comes as a result of that. Now, I'm not necessarily, I wouldn't call myself religious on a day-to-day basis. A lot of Reformed Jews kind of operate that way, but mm. at least some. I can't speak for all, but I know a lot of people that I've grown up with. It's it's a very strong cultural identity that you have, especially in the business world. In South Florida, there's a lot of Jews. So it does a very interesting thing in that world. Uh, you can kind of have conversations with other Jews a little bit better. And I mean, the world that we're living in nowadays is very strange. I've seen a very pronounced rise of anti-Semitism in the past several years, which is extremely concerning. Uh, The fact that there is a lot of racism and a lot of hatred coming back to the forefront in American politics amongst certain groups of people, which I guess we shouldn't get into that, but it's extremely concerning to me that there is pockets of racism feeling empowered and emboldened nowadays that are resurfacing. And I mean, there's no fucking place in this world for it. There's no place for this world in this world for people hating Muslims. Just the same as there's not a place in this world for people hating Jews. I get that 9-11 happened and that was a very bad thing, but it sickens me to see blanket racism toward people of, of, of the Muslim faith. It, it absolutely does. It's just the, it feels the same as, as people being blanketly racist towards Jews. It's no different. You know, like I've been to the Middle East. It's a beautiful place. The people are friendly and warm and kind. And like, I just don't get it, dude. It doesn't make any sense to me. And it makes me very angry to see that it's, it's made a comeback nowadays, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah, it has. And, and that's, I mean, that's a good answer. I, I really appreciate the, the honesty there, um, you know, because it has, I've had a couple people, you know, who I've been like, hey, you know, there's always, there's never any, you know, ulterior motive behind me asking people and they'll go, uh, man, I don't know, like, can we delete this part? And like, I'll, I'll like delete and edit out parts because it is similar even to the, the uh, PED usage conversation in the fitness industry. There's also kind of this fear now, I think, in this ultra politicized climate that we live in, especially election year, um, you know, every four years, the people are like almost nervous to talk about, you know, religion, sexual orientation, politics, because it's all people are looking for fights, you know, instead of just looking to understand and accept that there's people have different views. I I don't get it, dude. Like big fucking deal. If you are Christian, if you are Muslim, if you don't believe in anything, if you're Jewish, if you're gay, if you're straight, if you're none of the above, it's just, it's, it's racism and it's hatred. And I have a very soft spot for it as a Jewish person. And I've had extensive conversations with people in my family who were survivors of that period of time. I mean, my grandfather, you know, he just died this year, but he his he escaped on a boat to fucking Africa because the Nazis took away half his family. I mean, it, it's not that long ago. And things like that are still happening. It's happening in China right now. And I visited the, the camps, man. Like, it was very real. 
<laughs> I've seen the yeah. ovens and I've yeah. seen the Holocaust Memorial in Berlin. And, you know, I've visited the synagogue in Florence where my family was, and that's where they were taken from. And it's like, I think society is always a very, very, very polite curtain away almost from, from devolving back to that. And I think it's important for people to know that because I, I it's, it's that old saying like he who forgets history, you know, has runs the risk of repeating it, right. Whatever that is, mm-hmm. but it's true because I, I think that you see nowadays more than anything, both sides of the political argument, that, that racism and hatred just finds its way back to the conversation. You know, how many mm-hmm. how many temples and, and synagogues and, and mosques were shot, churches were shot in the past year? It's too many. It's, it's, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, anyway, so uh, <laughs> mo- moving on, you know, on that very, we're going to have light on it. I'm glad you did. I yes. think that was. I was a question I was a little bit unsure about, but that was kind of an honest way for me to answer it. I'm glad you yeah. you did have it in there. No, I do. I, I really appreciate that because I mean, I do, I am, it's not that I'm nervous asking people of it, but I know it's something that some people really hate talking about. So I try not to like spend a ton of time on it, but, but I do love hearing, you know, how different people's worldviews have impacted, you know, just even how they relate to people. But uh, ending on a much more lighthearted note of not the Holocaust, um, you know, is this question of breakfast? <laughs> <too? laughs> yeah, um, not the Holocaust. Yeah. That's yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, as I as I jumped into the uh, the third season, you know, my my mom had sent me a text, which I never know if my parents are paying attention to what I'm doing. You know, they're still in Ireland, so I'm never really sure if they're listening or watching or anything. She goes, Moses, I listened to a few interviews, and you've never brought up French toast. And I was like, oh, like, I just kind of threw it in for the name. She's like, Moses, no, like you need to, you need to ask people about breakfast food. So in honor of my mother, because apparently she listens to absurd random interviews, I ask everyone this question as well. And this has been a very well-received one is if there is absolutely just one breakfast food that is the all-time king. And I can tell you're moving into a relaxed position. I can tell you've got an answer here. What I know is the yeah, breakfast food? Sure. Okay. Fucking pump. Can I go Hit super me with stereotypical it. on this? You can. Since we just got off the faith question, it is a fucking toasted everything bagel with cream cheese and smoked salmon. It is so good. good. Answer. That is a, that's a strong answer. That's a good answer right there. That's arguably my answer, actually. Really? Yes. I am such a big fan of smoked salmon being on top of bay. I just it's just it. Like if I especially if I go home to Ireland, it's just oh man. Yes. Okay. They're so walk. So it's a. They're big on it. There. I mean, it's cold. They're just there, like yeah. depressed, drinking coffee, and they're like, "Oh, I guess we'll throw some fish on top of this bagel," you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But, but yeah. So, yeah. so smoke say on a on a bagel. Okay. Is it everything is that bagel. it? Like it's an everything bagel. No, it's an everything, everything bagel. bagel. Now, if you want to get you want to get serious, let's baby, go. Let's go. Let's go cheese with it. <laughs> All right. So if you go to a, this is only you're only going to find this. I mean, in, in certain places, certain neighborhoods in this country, you're not going to find this shit in Louisiana. And you're not going to find that. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe you're probably not going to find it in Wyoming, a really good Jewish bagel place because they're the best. Right. I'm sorry, but they rule the roost. You know, it's their food. I think they definitely adopted it. I don't know. It's, it's, a, big bagel. Bagel. it's a big Jew food. 
Um, <laughs> it's a toasted everything bagel with cream cheese. Veggie cream cheese is really good if you want to get your veggies in, kind of. Um, you can put onions, capers, smoked salmon's a must, or nova. I actually don't know the difference between the two, but there is a difference. Uh, lemon and a gallon of coffee. Gallon of coffee. That's a good. That's a good finisher. That's Always. just you know. Yeah, you got to keep the digestive system working. You know, you go the whole gallon. <laughs> Stan, Stan Efferding would be proud. That's good. Yeah, there's uh, there's no champions for drinking less coffee. You know, you don't get a gold medal for drinking a cup as opposed to ten. Correct. Yeah, like no no one goes into a coffee shop is like, hey, great work, you got six ounces of coffee. No, you get the bottomless except, cup, and then the barista's happy with you. Except Ian. If you ever give Ian a cup of coffee, a whole cup, he might actually like build a building in a day or something. The guy is so caffeine sensitive. Yes. I'll, I'll, I'll bear that. Next time I see him, I'll make sure I give him a cup and a half just to see if it pushes him over the edge or not. <laughs> he won't Which drink it. it. He'll have like a, a sip. He'll take a sip and go, oh, I can't do it. This is yeah, tough. I got a good workout. Too much. Too much. <laughs> well, well last, last question I got for you. Um, and especially I feel like, you know, when I first start launched, you know, and asked people, you know, had him on as the show as guests. It was back in March. COVID was first happening, and we thought it was going to be over in like two weeks. Here we are, like seven months later, and it's still it's still on the rise. We're still wearing masks. Everything's still this weird reality. You know what? What is your advice? One to to lifters, athletes, just in general. You know, in whatever regard you want to take that. And two for small business owners, kind of as we chatted about before of of trying to create longevity in the business. But what would be your advice to them, keeping their heads up and just moving forward in the midst of really one of the weirdest financial and athletic times we've been in in a pretty long time? I think it's an interesting question. But in terms of business, like we're going through something unprecedented. Nobody has the answers. I get asked every day if people think the real estate market's going up or down. I don't have a clue. If I knew the answer to that, I'd be a billionaire in two months. <laughs> so... I guess it's just preparing for eventualities. You know, if you have the ability to put money away, do it. You know, if you have the ability to live within your means, now's a good time to start practicing it. Um, and just, you know, if you're a customer oriented business, treat all of your customers very well. I think that's probably advice that everybody should heed no matter what point of their business life cycle that they're in. And just fucking work as hard as you can to keep things afloat every day and, figure out ways to adapt to a changing environment, whatever business you're in, you know, if you're an in-person gym, you got to figure out how to do things from home or remote. You know, if you're a business that operates remotely anyways, well, you got to figure out how to keep your customers happy and make sure that there's no, no holes in your game and you're not fucking up on anything. And in terms of the gym, man, I am so far from having a good answer to that because, you know, I, I literally got bored and pulled the biggest deadlift of my life during this thing. I was just bored. I didn't have anything to do. You know, it was the beginning of the lockdown. I'm just like, shit, like I got to find something to focus my brain on. I did that. And now I'm kind of unmotivated to be honest. And mm -hmm. like my current point training, I feel pretty beat up and pretty tired and I'm kind of brainstorming with bass and how to like move forward and do something new. You know, I've still been training just as much as I've always been. It's just without regular meets scheduled mm -hmm. and like meets that I want to do. Because, like, I'm not the guy that's out there fishing for social media fame. Like, I, my next goal is to 
break a thousand kilo powerlifting total, which will definitely happen the next time I compete if I don't get hurt or anything weird happens. But I need to find the right time to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now it's just about staying healthy. And I guess that's probably the same thing I would tell anybody, you know, like figure out what you're not good at, get good at it. If you need to be, do more hypertrophy work, well, there's no point in competing and maxing out right now. There's nothing coming up for most people. I know there isn't for me because I have other things to focus on. So why not be healthier? You know, mm. figure out how to sleep more and de-stress yourself. Because one thing I've noticed that, that has happened during COVID is there is this like kind of ambient stress level that's like a little bit higher than most people are used to. And it's it's weird. I mean, I feel it all the time and I feel very affected by it certain days. And learning how to mitigate that and keep yourself occupied doing things and like divert yourself in a new direction that puts energy into things that are productive you know and that's something different for everybody i'm on you know the the, what i've done especially in the business sense you know my appraisal business has grown you know tremendously throughout this whole thing i'm really fucking grateful for that i've never been busy i never and i barely have time to myself throughout the day anymore and now i kind of decided to I have two businesses now I'm changing the format of the second one and it's going to be changed to all my own branding and all of my own uh, name. I just incorporated it Friday. Uh, So it's going to be a little boutique brokerage with a couple other agents here in Miami. Uh, I'm pulling in some, some really cool people together and I'm going to let them kind of run the show in a lot of ways. And I'm going to be the managing broker for this and the owner of this new real estate brokerage. And that's what I do when I get bored. I try to think of new, more productive things. And luckily, this was an opportunity that presented itself to me. So I'm like, okay, cool. These people are very skilled at what they do. And they need me for a certain facet of like the licensing part. And I'm like, all right. Like, I've actually been brainstorming it for the past year. and have a website built and all this cool stuff already. And I just didn't pull the trigger on it. I just kind of was always laying the groundwork for this to, to, to happen. And now the opportunity's there, so I'm going to do it. So I guess diversify. Like if you see opportunities, do it. You know, if there's if there's things you could take advantage of right now that before you didn't have time to, well, why not do it now? You know, it's broad advice, but I think it's such a weird fucking situation for everybody that it's like, I can't tell you to go out there and grind hard. I can't tell you to stay away from all those stupid Instagrams that tell you to work 10 times harder than everybody else and 10 X this and, you know, blah, 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 gratitude journal that, you know, wake up at five in the morning with the ice showers. I hate that. That's something I should have said before, man. Oh my God. That stuff is the worst. I think it's so far like detached from reality and detached from the reality of, of being in business for yourself because like, the reality for most people is not private jets and yachts and, and hot topless girls and cocaine everywhere. You know, whatever the whatever the the bullshit is you see online, working fifteen hours a day, twenty hours a day, like that's just stupid. Yeah. Like, <laughs> don't do that. Please don't listen to those motivational Instagram nonsense things. Like, there's some cool stuff to be gleaned. I actually kind of like Gary Vee, some of this stuff. But I was literally about to say, I'm a big fan of Gary Vee. I think he's got some good good truth. Yeah, he's a little over the top. I'll say that. It's like a little bit much, but... He's playing he, the game, for sure. He is the one dude who I actually... He, like, he runs a legitimate business. 
He's run legitimate businesses. And a lot of the Instagram influencer business motivational speaker people, it's like a never ending cycle of making money off of motivation. You know, like they're selling motivation. Motivation is their business. It's not like, hey, here's my proven success. A lot of guys like in the real estate world, especially, they're so cringeworthy because the true players in the real estate game, you'll never hear about them. You don't know their names, but they'll they'll have, you know, a billion square feet under management. You know, BlackRock guys, you don't ever hear about them. Like $500 billion under management. You know, there's, there's true like success stories out there. You just have to search a little bit harder for them. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's definitely a good way to wrap it up. I mean, and, and even just saying to people, Hey, stop trying to make a quick buck with training. Yeah. Stop trying to do it yeah. all in six months. Stop trying to make everything happen immediately. Bust your ass, put in the work and have patience. And that's how, that's how you're going to find success at the end of the day. Patience. I'm going to make a t-shirt that just says that in big fucking letters. Patience. Yes. I think I like it would that. sell. I, I think I, there's a quick buck right. right there. If you want to make a quick buck, sell a t-shirt that has one <laughs> word on it. <laughs> oh, I'll be like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'll hate myself. Yes. <laughs> People are going to come back and say, hey, you remember when you did that interview and you said not to do that? And you're going to be like, shut up. I made 20 bucks. I sold a yeah. shirt. <laughs> Everybody's got a shirt that says patience on it. Yes. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, folks, this has just been an incredible conversation uh, with big business Marcus Leone. You can find him on Instagram at Marcus Leone. If you love that episode and you're craving a little bit more from me and the podcast, you can subscribe to us on Spotify or iTunes. But with that, folks, we'll see you next week with Dan Grigsby. Well, folks, as you heard uh, right there at the end of the episode, just an incredible conversation with Marcus Leone. You can find him on Instagram at Marcus Leone. You can find the podcast at Faith Fitness Podcast for full interviews, trailers, and more for the rest of season four. If you want to find his sponsor, Certified Piedmontese, you can find them on Instagram as well. Head over to his ambassador page and pick up some meat using Leone25 for 25% off. We have just a brilliant guest list for the second half of this season. So don't forget to turn on those post notifications on Instagram. Stay connected on your platform of choice to be the first to hear about guest announcements and what I'm always known for doing, early episode releases. With that, I'm Moses Allwood. You can find me on Instagram at Big Mo Powerlifting. Thanks as always for listening. I'll see you next week with Dan Grigsby.